Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning, Sojourn. We started uh, Advent last week, so we are in week two, and uh, we started this series by looking at the fulfillment of prophecy, of that prophecy I read at the beginning, of uh, Jesus coming. And this is really where we're starting to see the fruition of it. And we looked at the announcement of Mary's pregnancy from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, This week we'll be back in Luke chapter 1, so if you have your physical copy of Scripture or the app on your phone, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. Uh, We will be in verse 34 through 38. Uh, Let me recap last week for us. What we saw was God initiated the fulfillment of the prophecy. And so we focused on it being God's initiation, nothing that Mary had done, nothing that the angel had done. So he um, initiated the fulfillment of the prophecy of Jesus coming by sending the angel Gabriel to this young teenage low-income girl, Mary, from this podunk town of Nazareth of Galilee. Now, Luke describes her as a a teenage girl who is a virgin, and she's betrothed, which is like a binding engagement, to be married to this man named Joseph. And we looked briefly at why does it matter that it was a virgin birth. As one pastor said, the virgin birth is a primary doctrine. It does matter if it is true. Because if we lose the virgin birth, we lose the very core of what it means to be a Christian. Because we diminish the trustworthiness of Scripture. Jesus in the witness of his own mother. We find the angel Gabriel. He comes into the scene. He, he greets Mary by telling her that the Lord has found favor in her, which greatly troubled her. Because she knew that she was really nobody. This low-income teenage girl from this podunk town. And here this angel is coming to her and saying that God has found favor with her. But Gabriel told her, do not be troubled. Do not be afraid. Because again, God has found favor with you. And as a result, you'll conceive a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and of his kingdom there will be no end. In the words of Rebecca McLaughlin, the angel Gabriel's news delivered to one small town teenage girl was like a flaming torch unleashed in the darkness. Because remember, all these years had gone by and they hadn't heard the voice of God. The longing for the Savior to come. And here it is. A song of hope amid the groans of Jewish pain. It was a call to arms with a promise of unquestionable victory. God's long-awaited king was on his way. His name would be Jesus, which means the Lord saves, and he would be Mary's son. We pray for us, and then we'll get into the continuation of this story. God, we come to you again, and thank you for this opportunity to be reminded that you chose to come to us. God, that you initiated this whole thing. God, the longing that the human race had Lord, this prophecy that had been told time and time again and passed down from generation to generation and then can only imagine the people losing hope. Yet you fulfilled your promise. You fulfilled your prophecy. God, in a very unique way, in a way that none of us would have written if we were writing the story. 
But God, may we see you even in that, the type of people that you choose. God, the lowly, the humble, those who, who don't have their act together. And God, may that give us all hope that this message of you coming and offering salvation to the world is also a message for us. God, we give you this time to speak to us through your word. Amen. Have you ever had the experience of opening a Christmas present on Christmas morning only to discover an empty box? I think at some point, most parents have done this, whether as a sick joke, because that's pretty cruel, or, or they just made a mistake, right, in the hustle and bustle of wrapping gifts, or sometimes it may have actually been the wrong gift. If you have siblings, you open it and you're like, uh, I'm pretty sure this isn't for me, this is for one of my sisters. But we, we, we've had that, right? And, and, and if a kid opens an empty box, really if any of us do, what, what do you do? It's disappointing. You're, you're excited and it can look all pretty in the wrapping and you're, you're like, what? That, this, this, what is this? But perhaps that's how you feel this Christmas season. Perhaps you're trying to believe that God loves you. You're trying to trust his promises, but life right now feels like unwrapping an empty box filled with empty promises. Perhaps this Christmas season you're wondering if God is there, and if he is, does he care for you at all? Just as it must have seemed quite inconceivable to Mary, that God's promises for centuries, there was 400 years of silence, and God, you chose me? Your favor was upon me? that this would come true in her. I mean, you can imagine what her mind, her questioning, her doubting, her uncertainties. But if we, like Mary, put our hopes in Jesus, regardless how empty we might feel, regardless what we're going through, and we may not sense God's presence, we can be reminded of this truth as we look at the story of Mary, that we are unimaginably full of life and love. And so as we turn to our example in Mary, let's continue the story in Luke chapter 1. Verse 34. So number one, Mary's question. Now, understandably reeling from the words that the angel Gabriel had just told her in the previous verses, Mary asked a very practical question to the angel. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Seems like a pretty practical question. If you're told you're going to conceive and you know that you're a virgin, we won't go into what that means if you don't know then you're going to go, well, how, how is this going to take place? Now, before we get into this actual verse, Mary, throughout centuries, has been either antagonized or recreated by seemingly everyone with a corrupt theological agenda. Jane Schaeberg's book, The Illegitimacy of Jesus, she accuses the church of inventing the doctrine of the virgin birth in order to subordinate women. She summarized saying this, the charge of contemporary feminists, then, is not that the image of the Virgin Mary is unimportant or irrelevant, but that it contributes to and is an integral to the oppression of women. She goes on to declare that Jesus' conception was most likely the result of an extramarital sex or rape. So Mary, knowing she is a virgin, is very confused. Understandably so. There's kind of a prerequisite, right, in order to conceive, which is why she's not fully comprehending what is happening. She's like, what, 
how, how can this, I'm so confused, I'm puzzled here. But you can almost sense that she is also questioning, as she's slowly understanding, the implications that she will conceive while remaining a virgin. It's almost, almost like the Holy Spirit is allowing her to like, I'm confused. At the same time, you can almost see this like, slowly the light's turning on. That Oh, wait a minute. I'm going, you're saying I'm going to conceive while remaining in my current status. So to be clear, Mary is not expressing unbelief. As in God, can you do this? Like, are you able, are you capable of doing this? Rather, she's asking God, how will you do it? If my status in this regards is not going to change, how is it that I'm going to actually conceive? And so her question actually builds on faith. And as long as we think we shouldn't question it at all, but there, there's a version of question that builds on our faith. God, I believe, help my own belief. Which is why Gabriel does not rebuke her. Now, we didn't cover this story. I think we may have covered it last year. And we'll briefly look at it today. But of, of Zechariah, a family member of, of Mary, they had also been told that they were going to have a baby. And he questioned how his elderly wife would conceive. But his was more of a question of like, this is impossible. There's, there's no way that you can do it. And so the angel actually rebukes him, and then he's actually mute for, I can't remember however many days. So in Mary's case, it's not, it's not that. It's, it's quite the opposite. So both are questioning, but they're not equal questioning. Her, equal, her questioning is building on her faith, and she's still showing trust in the midst of her question. And perhaps at this point, Mary's thinking, well, I have a fiancé. At least I hope I still have a fiancé. Maybe, maybe Joseph's going to be the father. And, and, the, and the Gabriel's going to continue to reveal the rest of the story to him. But then Gabriel comes in, and he drops another bomb on this young teenage girl. Verse 35, number two, the incarnation and the trinity. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, even though people get pregnant every single day, the reality of a conception is in itself miraculous. And women, let me just, like, let's give a shout out to women this morning and show honor where honor is due in the fact that another human life can actually grow inside of you and then you can actually deliver that, that human into the world, right? Like, all the men are shaking their heads. Like, yes, like, women, you, you deserve to have a, a, a shout out. Like, this is incredible, if you really think about it, we're so used to it, right? Like people get pregnant and you can go to the, the, the birthing ward and there's all these babies. You're like, this is beautiful. But like just that everyday reality is miraculous. <laughs> you think of, take a moment to think about it. It's, it's quite unbelievable that this is how God chose for humans to, to multiply and that more humans come into the world. But Mary's experience was something entirely different. Something that no other woman has ever experienced. You know, the joke with Jim Gaffigan is that the man had a part in this as well. Right? A very small part. I'll just kind of leave the, the, the joke there. Well, well, Joseph didn't really have a part in this. Right? Like, like for us men, we're like, I mean, I had a small part. Like, Joseph couldn't even say that. Like, Joseph's on the bench. He's over on the sidelines in this, this scenario. And so Mary's going to experience something totally different that no other woman had ever experienced. The angel said that the Holy Spirit of God, like the God of the universe, the God who created 
the heavens and the earth, God who created you and me, the intelligent designer, that the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit who hovered over nothingness before creation and caused creation to be created, the Spirit who inspired great kings and prophets, that this same Spirit would overshadow her and the Son of God himself would grow and stretch and kick within her womb. Isn't that miraculous? And you can imagine Mary going, me? Me, God? I'm your, I'm your favorite one? So we see right here, and I don't want us to miss this, this, this young girl in a rural countryside that God through Gabriel reveals two great mysteries in the universe. I'm going to spend a lot of time on these. But he reveals the incarnation, the, the idea of God coming to us, Jesus, who we call the God-man, and the idea of the, the Trinity. They're both revealed right here in this verse to this young teenage girl who, who had no power to do anything, do anything about it. It's what Jesus is quoted saying in Hebrews 10:5. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God the Father, a body was prepared for God the Son who would be brought forth by Mary. So we see this Father, Son, and Spirit, and how God is going to come incarnate to mankind. Now, we are so used to the claim, whether we believe it or not, that Jesus is the Son of God, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around how wild this message really was. Right? Because especially in church, like, right? We, we, we hear that. And you may believe it, you may, you may not believe it, but it's a message you're used to hearing. But this would have been a wild message for them to hear, that, that Jesus is the Son of God. But Mary's faith is immediately put to the test. She's found favor upon the Lord. She's told she will conceive, but will she believe that God has the capacity to create life within her? Once again, if I'm not fulfilling this prerequisite here in order to conceive, am I actually going to believe what you're declaring about me? And am I, am I actually going to submit myself to you for this? This is where some of the false teaching and abuse can come in, right? It doesn't seem like Mary had much of an option here. It was you are the favored one. You are the chosen one. And this is going to happen. But will she believe that God can do this? And will she submit herself to this? Now, at this time, there were stories of Greek and Roman deities impregnating human women. But the God of the Old Testament was not like these pagan gods. He was utterly transcendent, the one true maker of all things, the one who humans could not see and live. The God who, when asked his name in Exodus, replied, I am who I am. The Old Testament prophets had painted this promised everlasting king in, in more than human terms. But that he would literally be the son of God would have been shocking to first century Jewish ears. This, is not, this not, would have not been easily received. Rebecca McLaughlin said Mary could have been ostracized or even stoned to death for getting pregnant outside of marriage. Saying, don't worry, the baby's father is the great I am himself would have only added blasphemy charges to her account. Right? She couldn't just say, well, God did it, right? It's God's fault. She's putting her own life at risk and danger by receiving the favor that God had upon her. You see, the birth of Jesus is unique. It's miraculous and unprecedented in all of human history. 
It shows that God kindly works through us by his power and his grace. It also shows that God honors motherhood and women of faith like Mary, which is why we're seeing her as our example. Continuing verses 36 and 37, number three, we see that nothing is impossible with God. This is where I'm briefly going to go back into the, the story that had been previously told that we didn't cover. It says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. See, there's another unlikely birth happening simultaneously while Mary, while this is being told to Mary. It's one of her relatives, Elizabeth. She's an elderly woman and has experienced chronic infertility, which, which I can only imagine how utterly painful and difficult that must be for a couple. They were never able to get pregnant after trying for years and years and years. And now they're, they're an elderly couple. You know, they're a grandparent age couple. And prior to Mary finding out she's going to get pregnant, it was told that this couple would also conceive and have a child. Not in the same way, but it's also a miraculous that an older couple would, would be able to conceive. Now, at this time in history, as utterly painful as I can imagine that is today, it would have been even more disastrous for Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is a culture where infertility came with shame especially for the would-be mother. You were looked at as broken by the culture. Like there was something wrong with you, that you had done something yourself that has brought this upon you. And so for the couple, there would just been this great, great shame. But six months before he appeared to the teenage girl in Nazareth, Gabriel had appeared to Zechariah while he was serving in the temple, and he told him that Elizabeth, your wife, will conceive a son, and name, his name will be John. It says, John will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. See, John had a purpose and a role. John's whole life, from, from his womb until he was born, and then his life was a point to Jesus, to the coming of Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, I think I have a slide with the verses on it, verses 13 and 15. It says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you should call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. So we fast forward now. Gabriel's visiting Mary, and Elizabeth now is six months pregnant. And Gabriel's last words to Mary were these. Your, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Once again, this is an elderly couple. So imagine the oldest couple you know in your life all of a sudden getting pregnant and how mind-blowing that would be and utterly shocking um, to them. And then verse 37 says, for nothing will be impossible with God. The angel notes that this life that is stirring within her relative Elizabeth is John the Baptist. And John's whole purpose is one of pointing to Jesus, not only in his earthly preaching, which we see that he does with his life, but also in his birth, in, his womb, in the womb. 
And the angel assures Mary and assures us, nothing will be impossible with God. You see, we don't have to stumble at Jesus' humanity and his deity. I think we can get caught up in this. How does it all work? How's this whole idea of this God-man? But the moment you admit the existence of God, you must deny the impossible. Right? If, you, if, you, if you, hey, there is a God, right? Even if someone's like, there's a higher power, but I'm not sure. Like, I feel like you, you have to deny some level of the impossible. Because you look around, and you're like, there's no way that this just happened, right? You ever been to Cannon Beach, right? That's just one beach. Like, I just look at that rock, and I take pictures of it every time I go there. It's just this massive rock. And I'm like, God, you did that. And I look at the waves, right? And they're always different. And I go to another beach, and I go to the East Coast, and they're boring beaches, but it's warm water. And like, you know, it's just like, God, that you did this. And I go to the mountains and the gorge, and just, it's like, you see this. So the moment you admit the existence of God, you must deny the impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. And that includes a barren woman and a virgin woman that they would both conceive. And that God can do it. Now, this isn't necessarily the point of this message, but even that we can hold on to. Like, whatever it is you're going through in your life, the uncertainties of your life, like, nothing is impossible with God. Can you imagine this elderly couple all the years back when they were were in their, their newlywed phase, right? When they were the Ben and Julia in the room and they're looking forward to their excitement and then eventually they became the mid, mid to late 30s couple like I am and, and then they got into their 50s and they got into retirement and then they got how old they were and then it's like all these painful years and God goes, nothing is impossible of me. This is now going to happen. That's happening in my timing and my place. Would they have gotten pregnant way earlier? Yes. They would not have waited. But for some reason, God had it in his plan to see fit that this is the way that he wanted it to be. And that he got to show off himself to show that nothing is impossible with me. And because Christ is fully God and he's fully man, he is the perfect savior. Think about it, he needed to be God to supply the righteousness humans could not achieve. He needed to be man to supply God the sacrifice that we owe, that he come on our behalf, on behalf of the world. And so he became the only mediator between God and man, the God-man, Christ Jesus. And he is the only way for men to come to God. That God supplied it in himself to come to us. And thank God that he did. Number four in our final verse, and this is where I really want us to, to focus and hopefully take something away this morning, is Mary's faith and submission. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You see, this section of the story ends not with Mary questioning, saying, how can you do it? There's no way you can do it and fighting against it. This story ends with Mary's faith in submission to God's word and to God's promise. And that's where I want us to finish today. Mary yields her life in faith. Imagine a, I mean, look at teenagers today. I think they were probably a little more mature back then, but I can imagine teenagers today, right? Anxiety-ridden, uncertain, yet she's yielding her life in faith to what God has declared over her. We've seen some other examples throughout Scripture. Let me just kind of hit a few of these for you. We see the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6, 8. He says, here I am, send me. We see Esther in Esther 4.16. She says, if I perish, I perish. 
Ruth then to Naomi says, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Job in Job 3.15 says, even if he kills me, I will hope in him. Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Example time and time again throughout Scripture. And here we see it again with Mary. And so church, I want you to hear this. This is how faithful people respond to God's plan. Even when you don't understand it. I'm going to say that again. This is how faithful people respond to God's plan. To God's plan. I didn't say your plan. I didn't say your will. I didn't say your way. God's plan. God's will. God's way. Faithful people respond to it even when they don't understand it. We can only imagine what this announcement may have required of Mary, especially as her condition became obvious. Once again, culturally speaking, right? I think a young teenage girl gets pregnant today, and hopefully, uh, one, if it was virgin, like, whoo, that would blow our minds again, but um, hopefully that we would protect, right? And say young and vulnerable and Regardless of the circumstances, we wouldn't, we wouldn't want to be there. But in this time and place, that would have not taken place. She would have been shamed. And shame upon shame would have come upon her. Daryl Bach in his commentary says, a hint of the issue is raised in the story of Joseph's dilemma. See, Joseph also had this dilemma. We're not focusing on him as much, but he could have quietly or, or loudly divorced her. He could have walked away. He himself had to make a decision. So is God's power such that he can create life and exercise sovereignty over it? This is a question that Jesus first should, should raise. Would people believe the claims surrounding Jesus? The questions are profound. Wonderful things come in surprising packages, but they can come because God has the power to deliver them. What must Mary have thought about the Lord's plan? What do you think about the Lord's plan for your life? The only way a person can genuinely say what Mary says is to believe that God's plan is better than our plans for ourselves. Do you believe that? That God's plan is better for your life than your plan. You see, Mary faces the potential of public shame. Mary faces the prospect of divorce or a broken betrothal and never marrying at all. Mary risks being a single teenage mother, a low-income woman, mind you. Okay, This isn't meant to be political, and I'm I'm, I'm not getting off on a tangent, but I'll just say today's society would have told Mary to abort the baby. She yielded her life her plans, her will, and her way to God's way. Mary would likely wear a scarlet letter the rest of her life, whatever that looked like for her day. She would have been forced away from her home and her family because she would have brought embarrassment and shame upon them. She was already low income. She would have been kicked to the the street corner and said, figure out your life because you've utterly screwed up. And though she faced all of this, how does Mary respond? Mary responds with faith. She says, whatever your will is for me, let it be. We can't truly be servants of Christ unless we accept his plan for our lives. He cannot be our Lord of our lives 
if we insist on ruling ourselves. You know, see, talk is cheap. <laughs> Mary followed through. As I was saying that, I got this image of when I went skydiving. If you've ever been skydiving, it's one of the most incredible experiences of your life next to salvation. <laughs> and I just remember the guy being like, we're going to open the plane, and I'm going to count to three, and we're jumping. You know, so it's like no option. So I kind of had to have that faith. But I just remember that moment. It's one, two, and just... And you just jump out hoping that you survive. <laughs> and it's just exhilarating. So I imagine Mary just going like, yeah, there's all these things. This could mean this for my life. Yeah, I'm going to take the lead. I'm going to trust you, God, not knowing what the ultimate outcome will be. And if he is the Lord of our lives, then we are his servants. Glad servants of God. And so, soldier, my question for you this morning is, do we have this kind of faith that we see the example of Mary? I pray that we do. The last song we sang before I got up, I wrote it down while I was sitting over here singing myself, it says, all I am, I surrender. Give me faith to trust what you say. So that is the song of our heart this morning. God, all we are, we surrender. Give us faith to trust what you say, to trust your word, because that's what we see Mary do. She had every excuse in the world. She had every reason not to believe this message. Yet she yielded in faith and trusted the word of God, what God said over her. And so through Mary's eyes, we see the life-altering blessing of receiving Jesus. And how he can only be received by those who know they are nothing more than the servants of the Lord. As we look through, as we look at Jesus through Mary's eyes, we see that God chooses ordinary people. So if you consider yourself ordinary, you think I'm no one special, right? It's easy to look at heroes and go, yeah, but they're this, they have all these accolades. Like, that wasn't Mary. So if you consider yourself pretty like hidden in the shadows, a pretty simple person, like, This is exactly, you're exactly who God chooses as agents of change in the world. We see this all throughout Scripture. Think about the ragtag group of individuals, his early followers. Fishermen, poor, nobodies. Who does God choose to give his original message to recognize who Jesus is? Mary, a young teenage girl. And so that God chooses us to be agents of change in his world. From the moment of Jesus' conception, Mary's life was paradoxical. She became the mother of the one through whom all things were made. Can you imagine her being like processing that? Like, wait a minute, you made everything, yet you were coming through me. This doesn't add up. But if we put our trust in Jesus, our lives become similar. That we are the body here on earth of him who made our bodies and the earth that we are the hands and the feet and the arms and the mouth of Jesus, that he's chosen us, that he's choosing you this season and giving you a role to go and declare this to the world around us. Did it cost Mary anything? Sure it did. She risked more than just having a baby. She risked more than she would with any other child. She risked her reputation She risked her marriage, prospects of marriage. She risked her community. 
She risked her life. The only time I've come across anything close to this in my life is when we were living and working overseas. You know, we have it pretty comfortable here as a reality. And I, I love that we have religious freedom in our, our country, and we should fight for that for, for all religions. But when I lived in South Asia, I literally met uh, countless Muslims, <coughs> excuse me, or Muslim, what we call background believers, who had given their life to Jesus, whose families had literally done this to them, turned their back on them. They lost their community. They lost their reputation. They lost their job. If they, had, if they were kind of prestigious, had money, they lost all of it. And they wanted nothing to do with it. What for? For the sake of following Jesus. For coming to a realization that this is a true message. And they risked everything to follow God's plan for their life. I think sometimes we have it so easy. And we don't take that weight in the same way. So yes, it cost Mary something. But how did Mary respond to Gabriel? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So it's like your word, your way, not mine. So how about you? Are you willing to follow the example of Mary in order to follow Jesus? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means risking your reputation? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means risking your family relationships? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means risking your community? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means risking your life like our brothers and sisters in persecuted areas do every single day? My prayer for us, soldier, is that like Mary, we would look at her example and that we would boldly say, Behold, I am your servant, the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And as we too receive Jesus and share him with us. God, we thank you for your, your message, God. If we look back at the beginning, how the world was created, it was perfect. God, we utterly screwed that up. And you said there would be a punishment, but you also said there would be a Savior. And God, there was story after story and prophecy after prophecy of your coming. God, there was all these hundreds of years of silence and uncertainty. And then we see that you broke in God, heaven broke into earth and that you chose a humble girl from a village. God, that she was the first one to know who you were, to recognize, Lord, to know your name. And God, although it came at a great cost to her life and a great risk to her life, that she said, not my will, but yours. And she chose to believe your word and your plan for her life. God, I pray that this Christmas season, as we celebrate your, your first coming, God, that we too, even if things aren't going the way we want, God, I guarantee if we went around this morning, myself included, there's a lot of plans that we would have written up differently in our lives. We'd probably be at a different place in our lives. But God, as we humbly and willfully submit to you, God, say it as your servants, not our will, but yours be done here on earth as it is. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. 
We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.